like um, if the doctors told me, oh yes, it's psychological, and I said it's psychological, I thought this, oh yes, it is psychological. Everybody says so, and I believe it myself. So I was very convinced it was burnout or something like that. I think for about a year um, after onset, after this infection, I started to question this when I realized that these typical um, approaches to burnout and to depression and whatever, that they didn't work. In fact, I was getting worse. And this is where I started to, okay, this is not correct. The psychological approach is not correct. It didn't work. We need a change in thinking. And this is where the trouble with all the doctors started. This, this really got, got very difficult. And uh, I always said if I wasn't who I am, I think I could have ended up completely depressed, desperate, and maybe uh, thinking about suicide and whatever. It was very, a very hard time. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, and in this episode of Medical Error Interviews, I chat with Lily Kaiser from Germany, and she started to get sick while completing her PhD in mathematics. Unfortunately, Lily experienced patient gaslighting by the medical system. They were denying her physical symptoms were actually real. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or persons seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, making them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. Using persistent denial, misdirection, contradiction, and lying, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize the victim and delegitimatize the victim's belief. It is a common tactic used by sociopaths and narcissists, and many psychiatrists. As you will hear Lily report about her genetic testing, it turns out she has a rare pathogenic variant gene that may be responsible for her myriad symptoms. Note that Lily is using a pseudonym to protect her from more medical gaslighting. 
You can support the podcast by subscribing on any of the podcast platforms like iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify. You can also leave a kind comment on those platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron by going to patreon.com medical error interviews and signing up you can also become a premium patron to get video versions of the podcast are you experiencing the effect of medical error or living with a complex chronic disease do you need the support of an experienced counselor you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Lily Kaiser and a note of caution that Lily's healthcare experience may be distressing for some. Tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Uh, did you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I have brothers and sisters um, and I grew up in Germany, um, uh, like on the countryside and yeah, so I went to school like everybody <laughs> and I had very good grades in school um, so that wasn't a problem for me and yeah. And how was your health as a child? Um, I remember myself as, as healthy. So um, I, I remember that there were some things that I uh, know from, from today, mm -hmm. like headaches and, and, and gut problems, uh, headaches due to sunshine, for instance. Um, but overall, my impression was I, I was healthy. So, okay. So did, did you say that when you were a child, you did have headaches and gut problems or only now? No, I, I had I had headaches and and gut problems from time to time as a child. I also what I had was um, I would say an upper body weakness, so I simply couldn't do some some exercises and sports. Oh. It wasn't doable. And I always get get uh, got a bad grade. Um, I don't know what's in English, but um, yeah, and I just thought I'm I'm incompetent. Uh, but today I think there was some kind of upper body weakness so which i know from today so i can't do any um this is so easy in english but i don't find it so i, I can't do certain certain exercises where the upper body is is um a part of it um although i train although i trained in the past to achieve the exercises i simply couldn't do it and then at some point i just accepted that i'm weak <laughs> the upper body is okay. <laughs> so I, I didn't I didn't view myself as weak when I was young and when I was a child. It, it, it's just retrospective when I look at it that I couldn't, for instance, I could swim, but I couldn't do um this this you know this uh, a butterfly. Uh, yes, like this. I, I, I trained for this for weeks in a in a, in a paid uh, course. And all the grown ups beside me, uh, they could swim and do it perfectly. Uh, um just after one or two uh, hours you still hear me yeah okay yeah and i i, I just i just drowned practically <laughs> in no time <laughs> so this was really very very fascinating but but i, I viewed myself as, as healthy 
Okay. And so you did well in school and then you went yeah. off to study at university and what did you study and why did you study that? Uh, I studied mathematics. Um, I uh, was a little bit undecided between mathematics and molecular biochemistry, um, biotechnology now. And I decided for mathematics because uh, it's always a little bit funny. <laughs> I watched the movie, um, A Beautiful Mind. I always loved mathematics, also in school, and I, I participated in maths um, competitions and so forth. And, and I watched that movie and I thought like, oh, all these formulas, they're so beautiful. And I thought I would miss them. And then I decided to study maths and uh, it was a good decision. <laughs> wow. It was really great, yes. Uh, studying maths was really great. Just uh, studying and uh, everything around studying. And this time was, was really, really wonderful. <laughs> it seems to me math is very much uh, for a curious mind that likes to explore and understand. And a lot of uh, conceptual work in it. Um, Indeed, I would say that I'm curious and an explorer and, and, and I like and I want to understand um, what the professors told us at the beginning of the um, of our studies. They told us um, here you will learn to think. And um, everybody says our oh, math is, is about computing and uh, actually I'm very bad at computing. I always were. <laughs> um, it's about thinking. And um, although I, I, I can't do lots of maths anymore due to the sickness and due to the, the, the disease, um, the thinking process um, is something I, I still, um, which I still can do and which I enjoy very much. And in fact, that's what you learned there. You, you, you learned thinking. Yes, that, that's maybe the reason why I didn't like school. <laughs> I was very good, but I didn't like it because I'm, I, love my, I love freedom. Uh, and what you don't learn in school or what you're not allowed to do, in fact, is to be, um, to be a thinking person um, who makes decisions for, for, for oneself. And I really had trouble with, with teachers and uh, we had fights, whatever, <laughs> because I wanted this right to be um, of my order key, of my freedom to, to make my decisions. And uh, your teacher said something very good. Um, it should be taught in school to think, but reality, at least in Germany, is it's prohibited. In fact, so they want you to to obey, and yeah. So that was my problem with, with the school, and that that changed dramatically at the university for you as well, as I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that does seem to be the way of uh, the school systems. Very much uh, conformity is the normity. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So you're studying what you wanted to study in university, enjoying your math exploration and curiosity. Uh, when did you start to get sick? I think, I think the process started, well, that I realized it, that something isn't right. And the process started already during my PhD studies when the first symptoms came that was after a uh, urinary uh, infection uh, that was treated with antibiotics. Um, and then I, I, um, uh, I, I got terrible um, gut pain, stomach pain, gut pain. So t today I think it might have been neuropathic pain. 
because I, today I, I have this too, uh, um, especially when I'm in uh, post-exertional malaise, when I have a crash, then, then I, I um, get this kind of pain. Um, but that I, that I got ME, this was um, much, much later, maybe four years later, four or five years later. Yes. Uh, okay. And in, 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 in between the time I had symptoms, I had pain, I had trouble with, with digestion, I had trouble with blood glucose and whatever. Um, but I, I simply ignored it in a way and just went on with my life. And on a functional level, I still could, could do what I wanted. So I could do my, my training, I could meet friends, dancing. So this changed with an infection after which ME started. So um, this was very, very um, slightly at the, slight at the beginning. So then I didn't realize that I, I, I already um, got a PEM um, experience, but I couldn't, for instance, I couldn't meet friends on, on weekends. I, I had to, um, to rest on the weekends so that I could work from Monday to Friday. Okay. Um, I couldn't go to parties. Um, dancing was a problem. Um, so this is where I realized something is happening. Um, okay. So just so I make sure I have this straight in, in my wee brain. Um, so you had a urinary tract infection, very common. Um, yes. And had you had any of those before? Very seldom in my life. Maybe one or once or twice, maybe. So okay. but this, this is nothing that occurs. But this particular time, um, you're given the antibiotics, and then you had what you now recognize as uh, neuropathic pain along with it. it. It could have been neuropathic pain. It also could have been gut problems. I th maybe I think it was a mixture of mm. both, of gastrointestinal problems plus neuropathic pain. Oh. Now retrospective, because I, I, I know this pain from today, and I know that I have a small fiber neuropathy, so I... I speculate it, it could have been something like this, yes. Okay. And then you had this uh, period of time where you had sort of mild versions of symptoms and you didn't even really recognize them as at the time as being symptoms because you were still being fairly functional. And then you got another infection and that's when you really got much sicker? I had several infections uh, before I um, developed ME. And but it was um, a very strange kind of infection. So I first thought it, it, it's the flu because at that time it was um, the flu went around and people got the flu and got sick and whatever. And I just thought, okay, um, I have a throat ache and headache and typical signs that an infection develops. Um, but it was strange. It didn't come. The flu didn't come. I got other weird symptoms like cognitive issues like issues um with balance dizziness um problems with thinking um i got problems with the gallbladder um and i felt exhausted so at that time i still did my training i cut it down but i still did it <laughs> maybe that was a very big mistake uh, but uh, i Sorry, when I you would, refer to training, uh, are you returning to physical exercise training or to your school studies? Correct. Um, ME, uh, um, this infection was 
approximately um, three years after my PhD. So I already worked and was um, at my employer and um, had, had my job and so forth. And this was when, my, when this infection came. And um, I was doing, um, I would say, high performance sports. So I was training around 14 hours per week. I did um, resistance training and um, what's the other one? Cardio. Right. Yes. Uh, so I really this was a very this was a huge passion of mine, training, sports, exercise. It's, I, I enjoyed it very much, um, and it was a, it was common for me to resume my training if the infection isn't bad enough. And at that time, I didn't feel the infection was bad enough because I didn't have fever. Um, I had headache, but it was okay. Um, so so I resumed. With my training, it was only seven hours per week then, but I, I resumed it in, in spite of the infection. And in a way, the infection felt like it never went away. So I was um, on sick leave for five weeks. And then um, I took one week um, vacation. And after these six weeks, I didn't feel better. And I thought like, ah. You can't stay longer away from work. Uh, I don't want to get um, payments from my insurance company. Uh, you, you have to work. You have to go back to work. So I went back to work. But I realized pretty fast I, I can't do an entire full-time job. And my employer is pretty great when it comes to, to these things. And it was um, made possible to reduce the hours pretty fast. And how long did you work at? reduced hours approximately half a half a year half, half a year approximately i think again retrospective one of of the, the faults then was that i just resumed my training uh, pensum so um i cut the working hours but i resumed with my training so these 14 hours per week in fact because um i have to say i was personally convinced that my problem is is not a physical one, but that I'm I'm just stressed and that it's psychological. So I thought it's psychological, and I thought if I do those things that I love most, all everything will resolve. And uh, actually, that was not the fact. <laughs> uh, and what made you think that your physical symptoms were psychologically caused? Um, I was a great psychology fan. Um, I was was very convinced that um, the psyche and the, the brain and the body that they communicate, and um, I was I had this 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 huge belief that if I'm not uh, happy and content uh, with what I'm I'm doing in my life, this will make me sick. And I was I was totally convinced that that this was the reason. And I just thought if I changed everything in my life, let me say it like that everything will resolve and um, today I'm very convinced nothing would have resolved. <laughs> um, actually I was doing lots of things that I love very much um, but, but this was my conviction, my personal conviction and I realized that doctors didn't have a problem with this conviction so um, I felt um, like um, if the doctors told me, oh, yes, it's psychological, and I said it's psychological, I thought this, oh, yes, it is psychological. Everybody says so, and I believe it myself. So I was very convinced it was burnout or something like that. 
So how long did this uh, particular mindset continue on while you still experienced these physical symptoms? I think for about a year um, after onset, after this infection, I started to question this when I realized that these typical um, approaches to burnout and to depression and whatever, that they didn't work. In fact, I was getting worse. Um, then I started to question if this is correct. So, so although I was feeling bad, um, I was still doing my training. I was um, still, when we went to vacation, I was doing my hiking tours. I love hiking above all. Oh. <laughs> so uh, I never was happy if I was, if I was less than five hours uh, hiking. So, so I, wasn't, I needed five to eight hours uh, a hiking tour per day. And um, I, I, I did all these things, although I, I went home and in the evening I was just like, you couldn't talk to me. I just lay in bed. I had migraine, terrible headaches. I had terrible nausea. Um, I just ignored it. And I started approximately one year after the onset, I started to question this because I wanted to return to work. Um, I already had, got payments from the insurance company. and there's only a certain time frame that you get these payments. And uh, due to financial um, fear, so how will I live financially in the future? I, I simply wanted to return to work. And I, I, I know that I, I, I asked the psychiatrist then who treated me, treated me, <laughs> and I, I asked him, shouldn't it be okay after half a year, shouldn't I be able to return to work? And he said, well, yes, it would be usual. And I said, there's a, okay, so what? Uh, eh? <laughs> it doesn't work. We need, we need to change something. Something isn't right. And that's where I started researching a little bit about, um, about my symptoms. And I really was lucky to land in a forum, in a German forum, where they widely and hotly discussed um, the, uh, the word CFS. That's how I, I, I landed at the, consent, at the Canadian consens criteria. And when I read this, this symptom list, I thought like, there's my life. This is all I have. And this is where I started. Okay, this is not correct. The psychological approach is not correct. It didn't work. We need a change in thinking. And this is where the trouble with all the doctors started. Wow, so just uh, sort of stumbling upon that German form around ME or CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, and recognizing that uh, a lot of what those folks were saying about their physical symptoms really matched your experience, and that their understanding and approach to ME was from a biological perspective. And um, so now you've taken on a recognition that you actually have a biological illness. Yes, I'm very convinced about this, very. And so then when you go to your doctor and say, hey, I don't have a psych problem, I've got a biological problem, then what happened? Well, that's when tr trouble started. This, this really got, got very difficult. And uh, I always said, if I wasn't who I am, I think I could have ended up completely depressed and, uh, and, and, and desperate and maybe uh, thinking about suicide and whatever. It was very, a very hard time. 
because of course they didn't agree, uh, especially the psychiatrist didn't agree that, that uh, it's a biological um, cause for my symptoms. Um, he, he soon switched from depression to uh, a somatoform disorder. In America, it's more this, um, conversion dis disorder. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so soon, psychosomatic. Right, right. As soon as you realize, ah, okay, I have to confess, she doesn't fit actually the motivation problem and, and she doesn't seem like a depressed person, he switched to um, a psychosomatic um, cause. I, uh, at, at one point, I... Um, wanted all my uh, all the the files the doctor had about me and I read everything that he wrote about me and um, everything that he wrote to the this is a certain um, institution that um, gives um, expert expert opinions to the uh, insurance companies so um, if someone someone is uh, longer on sick leave and the insurance company has to pay um, there's a um, process where the um, the doctors ask, is this person really sick? What's going on? And the doctor writes something. And in there, he actually wrote that I have false illness beliefs. Um, it's a psychosomatic disorder, and I am convinced to have a biological disease. And um, there's a lack of, um, there's a missing um, acknowledgement of the disease. A yes. lack of self-awareness is what they're saying. Yeah, so that, that I don't accept that it's a psychological disease. And um, due to this fact, I am a, a, a very difficult case because since I don't accept that it's uh, psychological, I won't do the, um, uh, the, the uh, treatments that are, that are supposed to work. So, uh, of, of course, he ignored completely that he already tried all this stuff, but still... So, so I'm going to point out the irony that you have a physical illness and the psychiatrist is refusing to believe that you have a physical illness, yet he diagnoses you with refusing to believe you have a psychological illness and believe that you have a physical illness. Correct. Yes. So in reality, it was the psychiatrist. It is the psychiatrist who has the false illness belief. This is uh, what I would agree to. <laughs> it was, it's really uh, very interesting. And so parallel to the psychiatrist, I started um, to um, go to other doctors. So I was, was very lucky to get into um, um, to an to a, to a institution. This is the Charité in Berlin. And they're, um, they're specialized on CFS and they're having a special um, a unit there where you can go. Right now it's only constr it's, it's, um, constricted to, to certain um, citizens uh, in the nearer um, area there. But then I was lucky to be one of the last persons who was allowed to go there. And for this appointment you needed um, lots of, of um, checkups and diagnosis and other stuff. And so I was doing this um, in parallel to the psychiatrist. This was my um, late uh, GP then. Uh, and when I came up with, with null results or, or, or minor results or whatever, um, he always said there like, see, I told you. So now you have to understand, don't you? And I was always thought like, no, we already were there. And it's just logical for me personally. 
I don't have to understand anything in medicine, honestly. If I have tried a certain solution and the solution doesn't work, then it's not the solution to the problem. So we have another problem. So we need another solution. You need to understand the problem and you need to try another solution. You cannot always stick to the same solution. That's stupid. So, so for me, it was really, alone from this point of view, it was really difficult for me because this person, in my view, behaved stupidly by always wanting to stick to this old approach that we already tried. So um, whenever I sat there with the psychiatrist and told him my story and whatever, he sat there like, like disbelieving. He, he didn't believe anything I told him. So that was my feeling. My feeling was he didn't take me earnest. And I read my and when I read my files, my my feeling was confirmed because actually that's what he wrote there. I don't accept that I have a psychological illness and that's the problem. So at some point I was very lucky to uh, bring the psychiatrist behind me. <laughs> I found a very very nice and empathic um, GP. So I didn't have to go to the psychiatrist anymore. Um, but this was a very difficult time. It was very difficult with this, with this person. And since I wanted to prove to him that I am not depressed, I, I just went on with my things. I did my training. Although I cut it from time to time, I realized I can't do 14 hours. No way. So let's do 10. I always felt bad with only 10 hours of training per week and then I realized oh, 10 hours it's really really hard really getting hard so let's let's do eight and I'm always getting I was just getting worse and worse during that time because I wanted to prove to him I'm not depressed and because he just didn't accept that that it's it's biological so and at this point, when you're doing that, did you know that you had ME and that uh, the physical exertion was what was making you sicker? No, mm. no, I, I, I was thinking about ME, so that's why I made the appointment, but I had to wait for seven months uh, until I, I could go there, um, which, which is pretty normal, in fact, so it's not, not um, extraordinary. Um, as soon as I had the diagnosis and the doctor told me there um, about pacing and, and so forth and about the fact that I had to cut my training and she explained you can do training but so under certain restrictions if you don't feel a worsening if you don't feel muscle burning whatever you, you, you can do it so um, at this point, I was sad. I was very sad, to be honest. So I took some weeks just to feel the sadness of, of losing my old life because I just realized I won't, won't be able to go back to this old life. And uh, so I just did some, some, some sadness work for myself in a way. Like, like you, you're sad if some, someone dies. So in a way, my old life died. And I needed to establish a new life. So, so. so I, I'm interested in the, your contrasting experiences between stumbling on that German forum where you recognized that you had ME, 
based on what all the other folks were also experiencing physically. And then some months later, getting uh, an official diagnosis uh, at a ME clinic. And your, your reactions to those were markedly different. Correct. Because um, at the first place, I just, I just didn't want to, to believe it. And I just didn't want it. Actually, I, was, uh, I would have been quite happier with depression or burnout because in a way, this is how I, I felt that the, the treatment for this seemed to me personally simple. So this is, this is what I did, do the, the things you like, do lots of it um, and rest a little bit and uh, whatever. I just didn't want it because I, I loved my, my sports and I just wanted to, to go on with my life, to be honest. You can, I could, I, I, I was able to ignore all the symptoms and I just told myself, ah, no, it's, it's, it's not severe, it's nothing bad, it's just nothing. And as soon as I had the diagnosis, I, I just had to be honest with myself and tell myself it's not a small thing. So it was just an, a matter of fact for me. So and I, I just realized if I, if I want to have a, any chance of improvement, I need to accept the restrictions, maybe hope that it'll, it'll get better. And at that time, it was pretty bad, to be honest. So <laughs> it wasn't actually, in fact, not very difficult, I think, to get any improvement because uh, very, very remarkable for myself was I remember a conversation with my boyfriend where I, t where I told him I had really cognitive problems and I, and I told him it feels like I'm losing myself. I, I, I can, can think properly. I can do the, the easiest cognitive things. I always, I always defied myself via this thinking and, you know, this maths thing and so. I, I was losing it and I was feeling like, well, I lost, I lose a part of my identity. Okay, so this is another question. Is thinking really your identity? But it felt a bit like that. And, and so at that point, I really just wanted to get better and thought this is a new approach. Let's try it. And it, it needs a lot of discipline, to be honest. Yeah, but uh, yeah, a lot of folks. Um who have not experienced a chronic illness or even, <clears throat> pardon me, acute illness that would maybe last for weeks or months, may only think that with chronic illness comes loss of health and maybe loss of physical ability. Um, but not many folks, unless they've had the experience, would think about the loss of social ability, just not being well enough, or, they wouldn't be thinking of the cognitive ability too much, how difficult it is to think and how tiring thinking can be. Yes. <laughs> and then they, they would be very hard pressed to think about the loss of identity. Well, I, I'd even say many people don't know their identity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and I only said a part of my identity and, and, and I was already, when I said it, I was questioning uh, my viewpoint. This is really part of my identity, the ability to think. So, but, but yes, it's, um, this is what I mean with, I, I, um, I had to say goodbye to my old life and had to say hello to a new life. This is, it, it affects everything, 
and for me personally, very honest, that the very most difficult thing is the financial aspect because um, you're also losing the ability to earn money. And um, this is a huge problem in our society. It's not like, oh, I'm sick. I go to an institution and I ask for disability payments and they're smiling at you and, and they're friendly and they're helping you. No, the first thing is like they're giving you a slap and telling you, uh, bugger off, let me say it like this. Yes. So it's very difficult from a, from a financial aspect also um, yeah, to, yeah, it's financially very difficult, very difficult. So, so when I say life, I really mean every aspect of life. It's, it's, it's friendships, um, it's hobbies, it's everything gone. There are also all the problems with the family. So it's not like fam the family believes you. I had, I, I had and have huge problems with the family. Um, they didn't believe and some still don't believe that I have a, a real sickness, a real disease. So there's the one who's still going on this burnout um, area. So like uh, if you're doing some, some meditation um, or go to a ghost, it's to, to a ghost spirit healer um, or pray, God will help you. Um, so, so I'm, I'm a little bit coming from religious family, so um, I'm not religious myself. So I was told this is the problem. God is punishing you because you don't believe in him anymore. And, and, and it's, ah, this is really <laughs> very, very hard it's sometimes. <laughs> other, other versions of false illness beliefs. You know, the psychiatrist yeah. had his version of why you're sick and they, they're attributing it to these other false concepts too. I yeah I think I think they they're uh, hitting for the easiest solution they can think about uh, not considering that the easiest solution is often not the solution in real life in real life I feel is complex and you need to to um, find complex solutions and um, my my feeling is they're just um, often projecting from themselves to, to me offering the kind of solutions they would think about at first well as i did these were the, the first solutions i thought about do some meditation do yoga do nice things go to psychotherapy and everything and it just didn't work and that's that's the point where you have to accept that you need a complex solution for a complex com problem and i think that's that's very hard for most people yeah, and do any of those folks have their own chronic illness? The ones that are saying, you know, do the meditation, try some praying. Uh, indeed, they do, in a way, <laughs> but not not um, as severe as in my case. So, um, actually, I don't know in in detail um, how their health is because they don't talk about it. I'm I'm someone I'm I'm very honest and. Um, and if I know people very well, like my family, I'm, I just tell how I feel and it's an honest, it's honest. Um, but most people and including my family don't go into detail about how they're feeling. So I cannot say in detail, um, if they, they have their chronic illness, the one, um, who, who, who um, suggested a meditation, 
um, said that she had burnout and that this this meditation helped her with everything. Um, so uh, that's one thing. Uh, and from another one, I I my feeling is she's ignoring the symptoms she has. So just like I did. <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, the other one is it's just a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. This is, if if someone believes in a religion, it's okay for me. Yeah, so 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 for this person, it's it's every all the symptoms are somehow connected to her to, to the relationship with God in, in any way. So it's okay it's, for me. It's yeah. So uh, now I know from your story that you also had some genetic testing done. Can you talk Correctly, about yeah. that? Yes, um, after I was disillusioned concerning doctors, um, I, I did some self-teaching um, um, and was very lucky um, doing all these researches. I was very lucky to, well, I, I contacted people and I asked questions and they recommended me um, a certain um, a practice, a doctor's practice, a genetic um, testing um, place. That's very, um, that I was told is supposed to be one of the best places here in Germany. And due to the fact that I have really a very great GP who's very cooperative and understanding and who gives me referrals to any place that I ask him to, um, I landed there and uh, the doctor did a, a whole exome analysis. And she was very open. And oh, sorry, me. Lily. Um, for folks who aren't familiar with that term, exome, okay. what is that? Um, exome is a subset of your of your genome, of all your chromosomes and everything that you have. It's it's a subset, and it's the the subset um, that's known to be most connected to diseases. And she was very open. I told her my main symptoms, which I broke down to uh, three of all the thousand symptoms that I have because I learned uh, doctors won't listen if you tell them ah, da, da, this and this and this. And if, you go, if you're going into too much detail, they are just you know, going to the psychological direction. And um, so I broke it down to, to three symptoms uh, that are for myself most disabling. And she said she's very open. She's hearing um, these kind of symptoms um, pretty often in, in, in the past time. And she's not, um, make, she's not coming to some judgment. She, she just wants to do this analysis and let's see. She can't say if, if it's something genetic. So genetic means what they're looking for. There's, there's certain rules that they apply to, to determine if you might have or if you have a genetic disease. And um, they won't look at, at um, variants that might, let's say, reduce your ability to, um, um, to, to, right, to process toxins um, out from your body. So, you know, there are some, some private um, gene ana analysts that's like, like um, 2,3andMe. They give you a report and they say your risk of blah, blah, blah is increased due to this variant. So that's not what they are doing. They're really looking at, at um, very fundamental genetic um, um, variants. And she said she can't say if there, 
there'll be something, not every disease is due to genetics. So, um, but in fact, indeed, they, they, they found something. Unfortunately, it's not known. <laughs> so uh, they, found, they found a variant that was, um, after applying all these rules, these are international rules, um, that was classified in, uh, as pathogenic with unclear significance, meaning um, in, their, in their simulations, this variant leads to disease. But we have only simulations, so we have to, to look in reality if this variant indeed is connected to any disease, to, to any phenotype, that's how you call it. So at first I was very hopeful, and then you get unclear significance, and there's still lots of work to do. But that's quite interesting. So it was also found in a parent and in another sibling um, that has the same disease as I do. And, and um, do they have the same set of symptoms that you do? Yes, uh, not the parent. The parent has a subset of symptoms that I have. This, these were severe symptoms in themselves, but seems that, the, that this parent was, was pretty lucky then because then they, they were living in America and the US and um, had a private insurance and uh, had very good um, medical um, treatment. Very lucky in this case. So, um, but the, the other ones have, you can say exactly what I have. So whenever I get a new symptom and I don't know what to do with it, I call, hey, do you, do you have this? <laughs> and, uh, then they say, oh, yes, I know this. I, I, I do this and this and this. And think, oh, great, I already have a help. <laughs> so whenever I do, you know this? So yes, I know this. <laughs> so. So, so do you have any idea how frequent this particular uh, genetic anomaly uh, occurs in the general population? Yes, it's, it's very, very rare. It's uh, rarer than 0.01%. So this is the allele frequency. So it's, it's very rare. So I, I, I cannot say if this would be a variant that could explain the ME symptoms or, or in a subset of people with ME, if this could underlie um, their ME. I don't know actually with this, with this, if this um, variant, if this mutation is relevant and significant and do I still have ME officially? This, I don't know. Um, I have ME symptoms and I fit the CC in the Canadian consensus criteria 100%. So, so I, I don't know. Um, that's a question for research. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, there seems to be many routes to ME. Uh, I think so too. Yes. Yeah. Especially reading uh, Jeff Wood and Jen Brea's account with their uh, surgeries on their necks which has helped yes. them improve so much. That's interesting, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, I interviewed Jeff earlier, so he's got quite the story. Uh, so what can you do with this information, or maybe not you, what can the scientists do with this information? Well, um, I'm right now, I, I was reading lots of papers about this certain protein that is encoded by this gene. And right now I'm, well, what, what needs to be done is the, the um, protein, this, it's a receptor with a channel, um, needs to, its function needs to be tested. So it, it, you have to, to, to know 
is it dysfunctional or is it not? If this receptor with general, if it's dysfunctional, it would mean that the, um, this genetic variant is significant. It changed the function of the receptor. If the receptor is functional, it, does, it means it didn't change the function, this mutation, so it's not significant. So it turns out it's pretty difficult to find a lab that can perform such a test. So this is such a new research field that you actually, that I have problems finding anybody who can do this test. So in Germany, um, it, it doesn't seem to be doable. So what, what, what I'm trying to do as soon as I'm feeling a bit better is I want to, to contact internationally labs from, of which I know that from, from research papers they published that they have knowledge about this, this receptor and maybe they are willing and can perform a, a function test. But I, I don't know. So this is very, this is open research field in a way very difficult again. <laughs> uh, how is your health today? Today it's okay. In the last weeks was oh, was very rough and really. How come? You know, I I don't know. It's like the small fiber neuropathy decided uh, with New Year. It it has to to find um, it has. To do everything that it's lost in the past years, I don't know. Neuropathic pain really was very, oh, very hard. <laughs> so I couldn't move the arm, and I had problems with the leg. And and then, no matter how you you you, you lay uh, your your head, you, it hurts in the neck. So I had neuropathic pain in the neck, very 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 um, hard pain. And it, it went to the arm, and I couldn't use the arm. And no matter where I lay the head, the the pain became stronger. And how horrible! I don't know why. I've, subjectively, I think I'm not doing too much, but maybe I'm doing too much. I I don't know. Yeah, we can drive ourselves crazy trying to find the pattern. Yes, I I don't do it honestly. That's how you said you can drive yourself crazy. I try to do as much as possible and as, as less as needed. And maybe it's too much. Maybe it's just getting worse. Maybe the disease is just progressing. I, it's a little bit with, with the sibling that has the disease um, also. It's, uh, she, she says it's, it's just getting worse. It's our observation, it's just getting worse. No matter yeah. what you do. You're progressing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned pain. What, what if anything helps you with your pain? Um, I'm using um, um, Lyrica, where would be the maybe the U.S. name Lyrica, um, Gabapentin, mm -hmm. Gabapentine. Um, that's the same. This is for, for the neuropathic pain and a new discovery. Very great for myself <laughs> uh, and for my sibling. Um, we are using um, lidocaine patches. So um, this is uh, this is uh, these are gel patches um, that you do on your skin, and you do it there where the pain is, is strongest, and you, you put it on there and you leave it there. Well, I leave it there for longer than you should, because I need it then. And indeed, this helps, and you don't have much um, side effects because it's it's just local, 
um, you know, lidocaine, this uh, local anesthetical used, for instance, if you're doing a, a skin biopsy, then they, they um, or in dental um, pro pro procedures, they're using lidocaine um, as a local anesthetical. So um, this is not, this is, um, you don't, this is not a tablet or anything, you just do it on the skin and this is, Wow. Yeah, good. Yeah. It's 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 used. Uh, it's usually used for instance neuropathic pain. So it's a common uh, uh, drug. And what also helps um, is um, cortisone. So whenever I have a bad day, uh, I I just take cortisone. And it helps with the pain. It helps for, for um, especially with the headaches. So I have moderate to severe headaches depending and if i'm 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 in a crash um, the headaches grow stronger and then i take um for instance cortisone just to to numb the pain a little bit and it helps great if i have a migraine uh, i need to take something else so this is called vomix so nothing else helps just just this and for your other symptoms have you found anything or what helps with those um, resting. I'm also taking immunoglobulins, mm -hmm. um, subcutaneous immunoglobulin, um, because there was found an IgG subclass deficiency, and um, I had very often I had infections and everything. And since I'm taking immunoglobulins, um, I don't get infections. Mm. Um, and this, in, in a way, improves the ME indirectly or even directly because with my case, I'm not one of those people that felt great uh, shortly before an infection. I just get the infection and it's always pretty severe. And I feel bad during the infection and I felt bad for weeks after the infection. So um, it's, it's really a huge... Um, um, it's really a huge thing for me that I don't have infections anymore because they uh, worsen the ME. So um, it uh, helps with your quality of life. Yes, indeed. Yes. So it, it doesn't, I cannot return to work. That's always what people ask. Can you return to your work? No, but I have less headaches and I'm, it was last year, this year it's a little bit worse, but last year I really had very, very, um, um, good improvements due to the immunoglobulins. So I could do more. I had to rest less. I had less um, post-exertional malaise. Um, I, the headaches went away. And it was really very good for me. So, so this year, it isn't like this. I don't know why, but <laughs> last year was very, very good. So I hope that this will again um, happen. And you spend a lot of your day, you have to spend a lot of your day being horizontal. Well, I'm, I'm trying not to lie in the bed. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting in the bed like so 40 degrees sitting. So, but yes, I'm most of the most time of the day I'm in my bed. Yeah. So I can walk around and I'm, I can do lots more of things than most people can do. So. I, I call myself still lucky, honestly. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about all the things that I still can do. So. And when you say you're, you're lucky, it sounds like you're, you're saying that you're lucky relative to others that are 
even more severely ill than yourself. Yes, that's, that is right, yes. Mm -hmm. so I'm not so, lucky compared to healthy, healthy people, but I'm lucky compared to other people with me. So. so what does your future hold? What's next up for you in terms of trying different things that might help with your symptoms? What are your plans? Well, one of my plans is um, this um, gene mutation thing. So I, I want to find a lab um, who can do this test and who's willing to do this test. Um, this is a, a bigger project. <laughs> I have to contact them. I already contacted them, but they don't reply, so I have to call them. Um, I have no plans. Cannot, I, I don't know. What, 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 do you, what can you plan with ME? It's like just I live in every day and, and I just hope that it will, be, it will get better. Maybe someday it will get better. So for my health, I, I'm just living, actually, honestly. Living in the moment, day to day. Yes, like that. So I'm happy about everything that I still can do. And, and if I have a good day, I'm happy. If I have a bad day, I tell myself it will be good again. <laughs> I hope to return to work someday to, to earn some money again. Um, I, I hope to resume my hobbies someday. I, I hope to do hiking tours in, in the mountains again. So, so I hope a lot, but I, I have no plans. <laughs> yeah, so you haven't given up hope. No, I can't. Even if I wouldn't, if I, even if I wanted to, somehow I can. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your journey, Lily. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope Lily is able to find some answers and treatments so she can get back to work and hiking and hobbies, things that healthy people take for granted. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or any of the other podcast platforms, and you can also leave a kind comment. You can become a monthly patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com slash medical error interviews. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcasts. Are you experiencing the effect of medical error or living with a complex chronic disease? Do you need the support of an experienced counselor? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.